Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. In this episode, I interview Chris Rinch, and he's co-founder and CEO of Amazantis. Now, it's very unusual for me to bring in a CEO or founder of a company unless I am deeply invested and believe in the work that they are doing. And that's exactly why I brought Chris on. He has, for more than two decades, been an innovator in the life science areas. And before founding Amazentis in 2007, he worked in venture capital, investing in pioneering life science companies in the nutrition space and in biotechnology, developing cell-based therapies at the Swiss biotech company. Rinch has authored several original publications in leading scientific journals, including Nature Medicine, Nature Metabolism, JAMA Open, Cell Reports Medicine, and others. And what he has researched is this compound called urolithin A. And urolithin A is being shown to have a significant impact on mitochondrial health, muscle function, and joint health. This is exactly why I had him on. I absolutely believe in the science that he's doing, and I wanted to hear it, quite frankly, from the horse's mouth. In this episode, we talk all about urolithin A. We talk about what it takes to maintain healthy muscle, what are some of the compounds and influences to really impact mitochondria, and what we can learn from urolithin A and how it has the potential as it relates to health and longevity and overall aging. This episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Do you struggle to fall asleep, wake up in the middle of the night, or argue with your partner over the thermostat? Well, I personally do because my husband likes it 45 degrees in the room, and uh, for me, I like it a little bit warmer. We've really had this thing in our relationship where he likes to sleep with the window open and it's the middle of winter and I cannot put enough blankets on my body. This is where Eat Sleep comes in. And I actually have the Eat Sleep pod cover. And this pod cover, it'll fit on any mattress. Uh, we have a, a king mattress. It allows us to adjust the temperature. He likes it cold. I like it warm. I don't have to kick him in the middle of the night or punch him. And uh, it works out really well. So the pod cover has a dual zone temperature control. And you and your partner, you can set it differently on either side of the bed. Based on your biometrics, environment, and sleep stages, the pod cover makes temperature adjustments throughout the night that limit wake-ups and increase your percentage of deep sleep. That is incredible, you guys. You know how important that sleep is for your health and well-being. And better sleep is a health habit that you'll love sticking to night after night, I promise. And you'll wake up more rested, fully energized, ready to crush the day. So go to eightsleep.com slash Dr. Lion. That's eightsleep.com slash Dr. Lion and save $150 on eight sleep pod cover. Thank you to Timeline Nutrition for sponsoring this episode of the show. And there is a new product that I'm totally hooked on and it is called MitoPure, which is in fact what this episode is all about. It's really important to understand that the body is an energy generating machine and cellular energy is like your personal health speed limit. Every second of the day, even as we sleep, our cells need energy. It keeps our heart beating. It keeps our muscle healthy. It keeps our lungs breathing and our brain functioning. And the challenge is as we age, our energy generators, our mitochondria become damaged, making it harder to produce the energy we need to feel our best. 
where does MitoPure come in to the picture here? MitoPure is an evidence-based product. It has urolithin A in it, which helps our mitochondria produce energy more efficiently by triggering our body's natural cellular renewal process. Essentially, it replaces damaged mitochondria. This is where Timeline Nutrition has really thought through and thoroughly researched their products. They have over a decade of peer-reviewed published science. For those of you who are following the muscle-centric lifestyle, then you want to improve your muscle function and health. And one of the, the studies show that in adults over the age of 40, Timeline has been shown to increase muscle strength and endurance with no change in activity. Go on over to TimelineNutrition.com slash Dr. Lion. Use the code Dr. Lion to get 10% off your order. I recommend trying their starter pack. I would love to hear what you think. Again, that's TimelineNutrition.com slash Dr. Lion. Dr. Chris Rinch, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to sit down and talk with you. I've spoken to your team. I've read uh, many of your papers, and you've done a fantastic job publishing. But before we dive into the topic of mitochondria, muscle health, aging, uh, mitochondria dysfunction, and then hopefully the positive interventions that we can actually help with mitochondria, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. I, I don't know much about you, actually. So you're a PhD, and I'm curious as to your area of specialty. Um, so I, I did my PhD uh, um, a long time ago now, and that was in cell and uh, cellular and, and molecular biology and more in the translational side of things. So looking how do you, um, yeah, how do you impact health and, oops, you know, I haven't, I, I'm not good at the that. <laughs> I you know, I never, I'm really putting you on the spot. And here's yeah. why I'm putting you on the spot is because I... I have the privilege to interact with so many people. And yeah. um, it's very rare that you find a group of individuals that are so committed to a mission and uh, a mission and a collaborative team. Yeah. I, I feel very privileged because I, I do work with a group like that. And that's actually a first form, which is a, a company that I work for. And your company is really amazing. And I got that same experience where you guys have really created a culture and behind a great culture and behind a great movement of bringing something that's meaningful forward really is a testament to the person. And as a true scientist, uh, it sounds like you don't really like to talk so much about yourself, which uh, well, is could, very noble. Well, well, why don't I talk about, um, you know, if you'd like, we could we could start off by talking a little bit about the you know the origins of the company, and and then and how we got to where we are now, and and then um, yeah, and then explore and, and dive into some of the science and I don't know any other questions That's that great. you have. Sounds yeah, great. Maybe that would be a good way to to kick it kick it off. Okay, I'm ready. That work for you. Okay, it sounds great. Yeah. So tell me about how you got interested in all this because you're originally from LA. And you're now in Switzerland, right? Right. So, um, well, it was back in um, in 2007, actually, that uh, I came together with my co-founder uh, Patrick Abisher, and we had decided that to create a new company that was focusing on this sort of next generation of uh, science-based, uh, science-backed nutrition, and and really the origins are around this um, the idea that you know as you get older. Uh, there are uh, as you're getting older, 
uh, there's slow degenerative processes that are taking place. And, you know, it would be, it would make so much sense if we could just incorporate into our diet foods that were, uh, that had the right ingredients in them that could basically um, slow down that process of aging. Hmm. And um, that's something that actually everybody is talking about now and, and really concerned with in terms of aging with this uh, progressive loss of oftentimes we think about muscle strength, function, and not even from the muscular side, but also the metabolic in implications. Um, and so I, I think that that is so important. How did you become interested in specifically the and and you're going to have to correct me on this word the elagatanins well actually when we when we started out uh, gabriel we were looking at um at different uh foods that were showing um that that scientists had had showed some type of uh let's say preliminary uh science mm -hmm. of benefits and one of those was the pomegranate and and some scientists had been feeding juice to animals and been been seeing some some first effects um and, and they qualified uh, it was at that time it was qualified as more of uh, antioxidant effects and so we thought well maybe there was something to the pomegranate so we we started looking at the pomegranate taking a deeper dive to see if there was really anything <clears throat> there that um that was backed by science um and so what we what we began with is is making uh, extracts of the pomegranate and looking at the different compounds and then and then testing the compounds so we did this we went through this process that um, is called by scientists a bio-guided fractionation where basically you take all the compounds that are inside of the pomegranate and you kind of fractionate them out and then you test them and you see which ones have effects and which ones don't have effects and and at that time we saw Elagitanins, which is one of the, um, which is one of the the phyto uh, compounds, one of the polyphenols that are inside of of the pomegranate, uh, and we saw that this was having some effects in some uh, in vitro studies, <clears throat> and um, and then we we went on, excuse me, and 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 then we we started looking at the effects but when we fed them uh fed animals uh with various um uh elagitanins and, and extracts of the pomegranate and and this is when we started thinking more about the elagitanins uh, and what and what type of uh potential benefits that they could bring and and then we started thinking more about the the method of their uh, metabolism of of the uh, elagitanin. So, how are when, after the animals and after humans consume elagitans, what happens to them? And and one of the things that that is that is happening um, following consumption is is basically the transformation uh, into uh, what's called a, a a postbiotic. And and in this case, it's transformation into a compound that's called urolithin A. And and so what happens is that there's uh, there's bacteria inside of your intestine uh, that transform uh, different foods that you take, and in this case, the polyphenols, the lagitanins, uh, into uh, into urolithin A. And and it was thought at the beginning when we were looking at this that urolithin A was just a this this postbiotic was was just a way of the body to um, 
cleanse itself and eliminate um, the elagitanins. And so we took a deeper dive uh, and looking at urolithin A to see what type of biological effects that this postbiotic would have. That's really interesting. And did you, are there multiple different kinds of elagitanins? I mean, urolithin A is one. Did you have to kind of sift through a whole handful of them? Well, the in fact, um, the elagitanins is a class of compounds and, and the one elagitanin that's the predominant elagitanin in the pomegranate is called punicalogen. And so it's what what happens is it's broken down inside of um, the body, uh, and then it's transformed into urolithin A by certain gut uh, microbes, uh, bacteria. Uh, so it, it wasn't it's as it was so predominant. We, you know, it, it became quickly obvious to to focus on on this one first, and and then take it from there. And how many years ago is this? This is over a decade ago, right? Yes, when we started, when we started out the company, that was back um, in in two thousand seven, and really got things going in in two thousand eight, and, and starting to look at the pomegranate then, and uh, and evaluating its its health benefits. And when you were looking at pomegranate and these elagitanins, and ultimately urolithin A, did you have a working? hypothesis as to what it was going to impact. Did you think, okay, this is going to be something that's really going to impact and restore levels of mitophagy as a way in improving mitochondrial function? Or were you thinking maybe this is something that's just going to help improve the gut microbiome? Did you have a working hypothesis? Well, when we initially started looking at the pomegranate, there had been some, um, as I mentioned, there had been some publications where there was uh, a suggestion that there might be some brain health benefits. And and obviously, cognition as you get older, um, th- there's all kinds of potential issues with decline in cognition, uh, whether that's um, you know a- an age-related uh, memory decline or uh, Alzheimer's, for example. And there's even you know Parkinson's disease that are all sort of uh, linked to to the process of aging. And so uh, we initially had been thinking about. Uh, about brain health and uh, and how do we improve improve that during the aging process, uh, and so that was where the the origin started. And then uh, as we started testing uh, and we you know drilling down to uh, to urolithin A uh, and examining it, its its benefits in in the culture dish uh, first uh, on cells and. And even on worms, we we really started. That was the, one of the interesting things. We started on cells, and then we went to and we saw this impact on mitochondria function. And then we went to worms, and that's where we started to see this um, this impact also on mitochondria function, also in longevity, also in uh, in mo- mobility of of the worms. And the worms is a great model. Uh, it's a it's a very um, yeah, it's a smaller model, but it's a kind of a complete model that allows you to study things in a more compressed time frame. Uh, and so it was that at that time when we saw uh, an extension of the lifespan in worms by about uh, a little bit over fifty percent. That when uh, when we administered urolithin A to their diet, uh, and then uh, and then looking at also mobility of the worms as they got older and showing a higher mobility. So that was. That was sort of a, a first uh, feeling on on the effects. 
Yeah, that's that was must have been exciting, uh, as exciting as worms can get, but really exciting <laughs> and promising that uh, you're you're actually seeing something work because you know in nutrition and in kind of the I don't know if, if the it's the nutrigenomic space or um, you know these more natural plant compounds there's a lot of promise initially and oftentimes it doesn't stand the test of time and it doesn't actually translate over to humans which is one reason i actually use urolithin a and i'm very excited for you to share some of your research because this does translate over to humans uh, and before we get into some of the studies you know i have one again you've published in nature uh, there's a, a jama uh, article uh, that was in january uh, a jama open article ton and we'll link to all those articles which are open access yep. urolithin a just for the listener it's this natural food metabolite um and it's a natural food metabolite of the gut microbiome and i think cognitively people are thinking well why would I take uh, a compound when I could just eat a pomegranate? And the evidence would suggest that only 40% of individuals actually can generate this compound. Is that true? Yes. In fact, um, you know, we ran a study uh, in Chicago where we gave people a glass of juice and, uh, and we compared uh, the levels of, of uh, urolithin A that they had in their blood 24 hours later with the levels that uh, that you would have in your blood uh, after taking urolithin A and uh, directly, uh, and what we saw was that over that uh, that first period of 24 hours, that there was a uh, basically a, a more than sixfold uh, lower level of um, urolithin A following uh, pomegranate juice. So we saw that it was. Uh, that you're not getting that much urolithin A uh, on one hand. And on the other hand, we saw that there was only about 40% of people that were making measurable levels of uh, urolithin A following uh, taking the um, uh, the juice. And and this is this goes to show the heterogeneity of the uh, of the gut microbiome uh, that we all have and that we, you know, it's not as easy as just sort of eating a certain food type and then you know hoping that the body can extract all of the benefits from it. it it's really a combination of foods and and having that right gut microflora and in, in order for you to be able to do that and that seems as if that's the wave of the future to really understanding the individual bio individuality of the gut microbiome and we're so early on in, in really studying this yeah. Um, as it relates to urolithin A, have and you might not know the answer to this question. Do we know why some individuals can make urolithin A and some can't? I know that you mentioned the gut microbiome. Do we know if there are people because uh, a uh, pomegranate is in very particular parts of the world? Do we know if those individuals that are from those areas where, say, pomegranates are very robust and harvested and um, available that those individuals have a, a greater ability to create urolithin A. Yeah, it, it's interesting. There's there's nothing that's um, that is so direct, or there's no um, studies that really indicate clearly that uh, specific populations uh, in areas like, for example, southern Spain or uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia or even California, where where there's a, a lot of pomegranates grown, uh, have a, a 
a, a beneficial um, or or are more prone to to convert uh, and and produce urolithin A than others. It, it seems we it's not really known, uh, you know, if there, you know, what the what the right bacteria are. There's been a couple of publications that that's given some first suggestions on potential uh, candidate bacteria uh, that are responsible for the conversion uh, of uh, the elagitanins into uh, urolithin A, but it's it, there, there's no um, uh, association with uh, where pomegranates are grown or cultures that are consuming pomegranates and and the actual ability to um, do this biotransformation into urolithin A. That's really interesting. Um, I bet you guys are going to figure it out. If 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 it exists, you <laughs> you will figure it out. Uh, as you know, we think about you know looking at some of your papers. Uh, I'm looking at this this JAMA paper here, and and you looked at older adults, uh, greater than. Yes. 60. And again, very relevant because it is the fastest growing population. And we know that they do oftentimes have this progressive loss of muscle mass strength. And again, these uh, metabolic dysregulations that end up happening, but they do have uh, reduced physical activity. And you did a randomized control trial in adults. And you looked at urolithin A on muscular endurance and mitochondrial health in older adults. I would love uh, for you to kind of give us a broad overview of what you were looking for, what, um, how you were able to identify, say, um, lower mitochondrial health or mitochondrial dysfunction, and what results that you found. Well, it's it's a really interesting study, and and it's really a it's it's part of a sequence of studies that we've done. Um, looking at mitochondria health and in this particular age uh, group, we started out very, one of the first studies that we've done um, was more of an observational study where we looked at at people who were um, 65 and older and we were looking at at people who had, uh, had high mobility uh, versus low mobility and were considered uh, what they call uh, pre-frail. Uh, and this is without any type of intervention, and we were just curious to see what the difference was in the in the muscle uh, and what was sort of driving those differences. And and in that in the course of that study, what we saw was those people who were pre frail had a lot lower mitochondrial function than those people that who were um, uh, active and and doing sports all the time. And we and we looked at that by taking muscle biopsies and and seeing lower um lower uh lower impacts of uh the gene expression on mitochondria uh function uh lower protein levels of uh mitochondrial proteins and we also saw uh by using a, a specialized technique called uh, magnetic resonance spectroscopy we saw a lower uh, mitochondrial function and this is a sort of a non-invasive uh way that uses a, an an nmr uh magnet and and basically you um you put a limb it's a limb magnet and and so you put your your leg inside of uh this uh this magnet and 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 you contract until you use up all of the um all of the atp and then you see how quickly it then is restored and that's a good indication of your mitochondria uh function it's a direct indication and and so and 
in the study that you're referring to, we basically took the learnings of, of this study and we we started out by screening people who had low mitochondrial function using this magnetic resonance spectroscopy uh, technique. And and this basically allowed us to to set a level of sort of what would be the entry point of people coming into this study. Uh, we wanted people who uh, you know, had a certain level of mitochondrial function that was not at the very high end. And we also combined that with other types of tests, um, like the six-minute walk to assess people who weren't um, weren't very fast walkers too. So had um, a, a slightly, I would call it a slightly lower level of uh, mitochondrial function. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's how we selected the uh, the group of uh, people. But they were they weren't considered pre frail and they didn't have problems um, getting around and uh, and and living life. And, you know, for the the listener, the six-minute walk test is something that we use a lot when we're looking at geriatric patients or just assessing capacity for patients. And now I'm curious, when you were looking at these older individuals as, as you initially looked at this study, did you take into account their history of training age? So, for example, if they were, whether they were lifelong uh, athletes or just very... Um, robust in their exercise versus say recently sedentary uh, we didn't look at we didn't look at it's a, it's an excellent question we we haven't um we haven't gone into a long history <clears throat> of um uh, of people physical fitness but in, in in general um all of the individuals were were rather sedentary in their life but but we don't have a prior history for example when they were in their 30s 40s and 50s whether or not they were more active it's interesting to think about mitochondrial health because mitochondrial health is uh, very you know it's impacted by exercise and what i love about this concept of urolithinase the pathways that it push when i think about mitochondrial health i oftentimes think about what are the ways the biggest ways to do that is you know and from my perspective, is exercise. I don't know right. if in the literature there's a, a bigger driver. Uh, and when I say mitochondrial health, what does that mean? I, I think, you know, from my perspective, it's the ability to generate energy or ATP and utilization of substrates. Is there another, uh, after exercise, is there another primary driver for mitochondrial health? Well, certainly exercise is perhaps the the biggest one. There is, um, you know, there, there's been a lot uh, of work done on intermittent fasting, and it, you know, it's it's my understanding that intermittent fasting can also uh, boost mitochondrial health as it stimulates this process, the same process that um, that urolithin A uh, is involved in, and and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think, but but certainly being athletic and and practicing regular sports, that's perhaps the you know, the biggest and the most impactful way to improve mitochondria function uh, outside of taking certain supplements. Yeah. And again, that's one of the reasons that I, and my listeners know, I I really don't have individuals come on and talk about very specific um, molecules. I will have someone yeah. coming on to talk about omega-3 fatty acids because typically, again, the 
the influence on something that's relative is, you know, relative for the listener or relative for the human in general is limited. But, you know, in the evidence that I've seen with these very well-designed trials, you've dosed urolithin A from two, uh, 25 or uh, 250 milligrams up to a daily dose of a thousand milligrams. And um, urolithin okay. A again is that compound that is made by the gut microbiome, but 40% of people aren't making it. And you, you guys actually make it and you've dosed individuals. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen with the lower dosing up into the higher dose of a thousand milligrams of urolithin A specifically on its impact on muscle endurance, strength, function? Sure. Um, well, you know, we, we all started our very first, uh, study where we, where we administered urolithin A to volunteers, uh, was one where we, as you mentioned, we, we looked at different doses of, of urolithin A and, and what they call a single ascending study followed by a multiple ascending study. And so what that means is that in a single ascending study, you, you give just one dose, um, one time, and then you see the bioavailability and and then in the multiple ascending dose you choose the doses uh, from the single ascending dose that you think are the most interesting uh and and have the most compelling data and then you you treat and you administer for a longer period in our case we did that for 4 weeks or 28 days uh and and what we saw over this um we monitored over this this 28 day period was we we had uh as i was mentioning in the other studies we we did muscle biopsies at the at day 1 and we did muscle biopsies at day 28 we also took plasma samples at the start and at the end and and what we did is um on the on the uh, muscle biopsies we looked at gene expression patterns uh, and the idea there was was to understand uh, what impact, and this was the first time we did that for um, for urolithin A, uh, what impact that urolithin A would have on the gene expression patterns of the of the skeletal muscle tissue, and so actual the the cells, the muscle cells um, that are responsible for making our muscles contract and giving us the strength and endurance that we need. And, and, and what we saw was that we had uh, what they call mitochondria gene set uh, enrichment uh, analysis, where we saw mitochondria uh, gene sets uh, increase in their expression. And, and a mitochondria gene set is basically a collection of different genes that are involved in uh, actually uh, making the mitochondria function well. And so when you see these are upregulated, it's a clear sign that there is uh, mitochondria biogenesis and the um, basically production of new mitochondria and sort of uh, improving the, the functioning of, of the mitochondria in general. And that was pretty exciting. And we saw that when we were administering a 500 milligram dose and a 1000 milligram dose uh, each day for a period of uh, 28 days. And, uh, and so we started uh, investigating those doses more in, in additional clinical studies. The other uh, impact that we saw was on certain biomarkers that are linked to mitochondria function and, and when looking at the plasma. So 
we we did uh, a metabolomics study, uh, what they call, and that's basically we look at all these different metabolites that are in the plasma, and we we analyze the uh, the the collection of metabolites before the intervention, and compare that with the profile following uh, the intervention. And what you're seeing is that you have some enrichment uh, and changes in certain metabolites. And and those particular to mitochondria were also observed uh, in, and specifically the acyl carnitine levels. And so the acyl carnitine levels uh, declined uh, with, uh, you know, with time after taking uh, urolithin A. And this is an indication of, of uh, performing mitochondria. So essentially, you looked at baseline. You know, I used to do the those muscle biopsies. <laughs> really? Did you do them or did your did the uh, did you guys have other people do them? I'm telling you, uh, not fun. And those participants are amazing for for doing. Of course, that. <laughs> yeah. It's very, and it's very important to find people who can who are willing to do these types of uh, participate in this type of research because this is what helps us understand, you know, the benefits of in this case of urolithin A and and how we can focus uh, our research and scale that to other yet yeah, to other endpoints that go beyond biomarkers and are more physiological endpoints for sure for sure so you you to kind of recap it you looked at the baseline biomarkers of an individual including their uh muscle tissue you yes. looked at the gene expression of uh, indications of mitochondrial health. You gave them urolithin A. Twenty-eight days later, you then re-biopsied the, re the individuals to look right. for, you know, what the results were with gene expression and other biomarkers. And actually, you did see in such, and that's a very short period of time. Twenty-eight days yeah, is a very, very short. short period of time um, to see this uh, increase in positive biomarkers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a question for you. Sure. When we talk about aging, I think it's really important that we know what we're looking at. And that's why I'd like to thank one of the sponsors of the show, Inside Tracker. Head on over to insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion, and you can get 20% off. You know, in this episode, we do talk a lot about the way in which we age and what happens to muscle. This is why I think it's very critical to know what's going on under the hood. And people age at different speeds. It's not like the date on your license represents your you know, inner age, as they say. So if you're looking for ways to extend your health span and address things that perhaps you can address early, Inside Tracker provides a really good platform to do that. You can head on over to insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lyon. You can get 20% off their entire store. I have a lot of patients that bring me Inside Tracker blood work and we review it. You can get a daily action plan, personalized guidance exercise, nutrition, supplementation, you name it. But really the important part is, is that you have knowledge. And with knowledge, you can create action. And action is what moves the needle. For a limited time now, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Again, go on over to insidetracker.com slash DrLine, and that is 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Thank you so much, First Form, for sponsoring this episode of the show. And today, I'd love to tell you a little bit about one of my favorite products, and that's Megawatt Natural. This fits nicely in this episode because we're talking about energy, mitochondria health, and really what needs to happen for that. And one of the most important things is exercise. That's why I love Megawatt. So this is the pre-workout that I use. I just throw it in my water and drink it on the way all at once. <laughs> 
on the way to the gym. And this has electrolytes. It has caffeine in it. It really tastes great, which I love. It also has B vitamins and nootropics that help with mental focus and alertness. Really gets me dialed in to my training session. And I use a handful of things, but this has certainly been something I've been using for a very long time. So you can go over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion and definitely check out their Megawatt. They have all different flavors. I really love the Megawatt Natural, again, as a pre-workout. And I may or may not take a half a scoop in the afternoon to also help me with the rest of the day, which I do do. So head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion. In terms of the fiber types, did you look at type one, type two, you know, type two fiber types as it relates to the impact of urolithin A? You know, we haven't looked at specific fiber types. It was very difficult and considering the amount of tissue to um, to be able to dissect that out, you need a certain amount of tissue just to um, perform these um, these gene expression uh, analysis. And so we tried to um, uh, to we tried to take the smallest size biopsy possible to to be able to rightly to so. run our analysis. <laughs> rightly so. Um, and after so you looked at twenty eight days, also two months, four months, and then. Any uh, studies beyond four months? So we in in the study that you mentioned before that we published in um, in the JAMA Open Journal, uh, uh, we were looking at physiological benefits after as long as four months. We haven't in a clinical setting uh, gone beyond four months, although we have a number of customers who have been taking our product yeah. uh, for much much longer. Um, you know, I've been taking the product since it was available, and yeah. You you know, you were hiding before it was even done. You were ready in the back and and probably like, oh man, this is amazing. I, I got to be on this. In terms of length of time it takes to work, we know roughly 28 days, so about a month for individuals to feel an impact. Did you see in any of your studies, so you obviously saw changes in um, muscular endurance as it relates to physical performance for the six minute walk. What about strength? Uh, yeah, so uh, with strength, so we we ran another study that was um, in a in more of a, a middle age group, so forty to sixty five uh, year old individuals who were sedentary and overweight, and and we gave them five hundred milligrams or a thousand milligrams, and we followed them for a period of four months, and and they weren't exercising. Uh, and what we saw was an improvement in leg muscle strength. We we measured a number of parameters, but but the uh, the one parameter that really stood out was the improvement in leg muscle strength uh, of um, of ten percent from the baseline, which is uh, quite impressive because we're not actually doing any exercise to sort of reinforce and build up that strength. Uh, and yeah, so that's that was that was a very uh, a very good finding, and, and it. You know, and and when we when we ran the the other study in in the older individuals and we looked at um, muscle endurance, it, it you know it really corresponds to, uh, that we're seeing sort of multiple studies uh, impacting muscle function. And in this in the study there in the forty to sixty five, we looked at other parameters too, and and one of the other parameters was this peak VO two and. We also saw an improvement in peak VO2. Uh, uh, so this was also giving us this, um, yeah, more uh, more data to support that we're having 
this general uh, impact on on the body's health. And it's interesting. It's it it works along the same pathways essentially as exercise, which leads me to another thought. And I, I'm sure the listener is thinking about this. Well, what about impacts on specific blood markers that perhaps are impacted through physical exercise, like triglycerides or HDL or CRP, fasting blood glucose or insulin? Did you see changes in any of those blood markers? You know, we haven't done a, a specific study to analyze those blood markers. Normally, when you're looking for changes, you want to um, to choose a population that might have um, you know, some type of an issue, uh, and then you're looking to correct it. And so, uh, the criteria that we had for all of those patients or subjects that were coming into the study were, you know, that they're healthy, that they didn't have... Um, you know, some type of issue with their cholesterol or or another type of uh, biomarker. Right. That that would make sense. In terms of the impact on urolithin A and what you've seen, did it make a difference if they were uh, o- obese or not? Met, you know, because uh, the reason I ask this is, is there's evidence to suggest that sometimes in obese muscle, there's this m- blunted um muscle protein synthesis effect. And again, I know that the uh, urolithin A isn't necessarily working on the pathways of mTOR or muscle protein synthesis, but you know we do see a blunting of, it's almost like an exercise effect. And mm. I'm, I'm really uh, simplifying that. And I'm curious, did you find that the mitochondria gene expression was blunted and maybe you did or didn't look at this in individuals that struggled with weight or are more on the obese end? Well, in our study, um, in the 40 to 65-year-olds, uh, they were sedentary and overweight, but they weren't obese. So, we haven't studied the product in a clinical setting in obese individuals. So, it would be hard to to comment on that. But what I can say is in those overweight individuals uh, who were sedentary, that we improved the muscle, the leg muscle strength. Uh, and that I thought was, you know, quite impressive after only, you know, four months of taking the product and without adding any type of exercise regimen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's really, really profound. Do you eventually believe that you'll look at it as it relates to body composition? Do you think that this is something that perhaps, uh, I know that you've really identified its effect on mitophagy, which I, I would love yeah. for you to talk a little bit more yeah, about sure. mitophagy, but do you expect that perhaps it also has uh, other areas of impact? Sure. I mean, I I think that, you know, when you, when you think of mitochondria, uh, mitochondria are, are basically in all of our cells, except our red blood cells, and and they're important for producing all the energy inside of the cells so that all of the cellular reactions can take place um, that that the cell needs to perform to stay healthy and and do its job. And so, um, you know, if you if you're thinking about improving mitochondrial function, it's not only acting on your muscle cells. Uh, at least in the case of of urolithin A, it's acting on a whole number of different cell types, and there have been. Uh, multiple publications by other groups showing its benefits on uh, on other cell types. Uh, we've there was a, a publication by a, a collaborator 
who ran a study for uh, quite some time to research the impact on uh, immune health. And they came out with a very nice uh, paper in the journal Immunity uh, about a month ago, uh, showing the impact on the positive impact on immune cells and uh, and on T memory cells and, and the stemness there. Uh, and there's been other studies that we've done where we've looked at uh, joint health and and cartilage and and uh, and and shown sort of an improvement uh, in uh, in models of osteoarthritis and in animal models of osteoarthritis. And and there's been other groups that have looked at it. Um, in in the context of brain health as well and they've shown uh well they've shown positive impact in brain health now the question is you know this goes back to translation you know which of these might translate into um into human benefits it's too early to tell and and a lot more studies need to to take place Uh, we're in terms of new benefits we are uh uh, working on uh, the on the immune side, and that's one area that we're very interested in. I think you know a lot of your listeners are probably interested in in immune health with you know all of the issues around uh, COVID uh, during these last uh, couple of years and and even now. Um, and so we're going to be running some tests, uh, some clinical tests uh, with urolithin A, looking at its at its impact on uh, on general immune health. Yeah, that's that is also going to be really important. It's interesting to think when we come up for ways of treating some of these diseases of aging. And I say disease of aging, and and really, again, my interest is in skeletal muscle. Uh-huh. We don't have uh, treatments. We, I mean, the best treatment that we have is exercise that really impacts skeletal muscle, dietary protein. Um, they're you know they're there may be benefit to some kind of uh, hormonal or anabolic intervention. And this is the first compound that I've seen, you know, and I'm not talking about omega-3 or creatine, but as a plant-based compound, this is something that I am, you know, again, my training is as, as a geriatrician. And this is very, very interesting as a geriatrician perspective, mm-hmm. as this relates to overall health and specifically this concept of mitophagy, which is this selective autophagy process. I'd love for you to explain to the listener a little bit about that and how that goes awry and, you know, ways in which we can can counteract that decline. Sure. Uh, I I think it's it's very, mitophagy is kind of of at the core of uh, maintaining healthy mitochondria inside of your cells. You're, you know, as you're as your mitochondria are producing ATP in that process, there's a lot of uh, reactive oxygen species that are created. And and what happens with these reactive oxygen species is that they they will attack the membranes of the mitochondria. So mitochondria will get damaged over time as they do their business uh, of producing energy for the cell, they'll get damaged. But the cell is very clever and and it has this process inside that basically uh, recycles the damaged mitochondria. So it, you know, it identifies uh, damaged mitochondria and it, it puts them in a path where, where they are, are basically uh, engulfed and then digested. And then the component parts are released into the cell so that they can be used to then build a new mitochondria or, or, or expand existing 
mitochondria. And and this is really important because without this, your mitochondria would be damaged as they're producing uh, ATP. And then you'd have a collection of damaged mitochondria uh, that weren't um, very healthy. And so consequently, the cells wouldn't function optimally. And as a consequence of that, then you have your tissues that aren't working very well. And then you start to feel the physiological impact of that, you know, that you're not able to, you know, you're, you're not as, you can't be as active. You don't have that same endurance. The muscle strength goes down. And, and so that's, that's why it's very important to, to keep the mitochondria always undergoing this, um, this process of, mitophagy, uh, which is the self-eating of the, uh, and recycling of the mitochondria. Chris, is there a synergistic impact of urolithin A plus exercise, whether resistance or aerobic exercise? You know, we haven't tested that yet, but we, I mean, we haven't completed tests of that. We're, we're in the process of conducting a study over in Australia, looking at athletes who are taking, um, uh, urolithin A as well. And, and this is, this is something that we think is going to be very exciting. Um, and, but we, the jury is out on that and we're waiting to complete the study to analyze the data. And, but it makes sense. Uh, and we're not, um, we're not suggesting that because the effects of urolithin A, uh, are, and mitopure are, are exercise uh, like, and, and some scientists who've looked at our data say, "Oh, this looks like a, uh, you know, an exercise mimetic." Uh, I would not in- encourage people to, f- you know, forego exercise. I do think uh, there's likely to be a synergy between having, you know, a very regular exercise regimen and taking um, mitopure on top of that because you. Exercise will have a certain impact, but uh, urolithin A, uh, you can take that and that will have its impact, you know, at, at different times during the day. So you can imagine uh, timing your exercise, for example. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's going to be very beneficial. Do you think that there's any role of the compound urolithin A in, say, bed rest, in preservation of mitochondria in individuals who are fully on bed rest? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is another area of of great interest, and we're working together with our partner uh, to conduct a study uh, with uh, Professor Stuart Phillips. Uh, you know, over... Stu's a friend of mine. Uh, yeah, Stu's, Stu's great. Yeah, he is the best, and um, yeah. just an incredible human. Yeah, no, he's great, and uh, he's uh, and and he's going to be conducting a study where we look uh, at the effect of urolithin A uh, in people. Uh, who have a sort of bed rest type of um, exposure to see how that can uh, maintain muscle function while you're inactive. Because, you know, as you allude to it, when you're, when you're immobile, your muscle tends to, um, yeah, you, you tend to have less muscle. It sort of wastes away and, and then you need to get back on your feet and, and exercise again to build out that muscle. And, and I think the one interesting thing about and we haven't really touched on that yet. It is is the importance of not only muscle mass, but having all of your cells function at optimally, no matter how much muscle mass you have. So you yeah. could have a lower. I mean, as you get older and and you have reduced muscle mass, 
the key is is making that muscle mass you know and, and those muscle cells that you have function uh, at their peak and and so that can take that can even um counterbalance the negative effects of not having enough uh, muscle tissue if you can just take what you have and make it work better yeah that's that's one of the most important things that we see in aging and it is like almost this tipping point right there there comes a point that it you know i can appreciate in the literature it talks a lot about how muscle is you can always build muscle uh and you know you can maintain it but the reality is is it gets more difficult because yeah. just the the tissue effect is is blunted to the efficiency of components of muscle muscle protein synthesis decline so it's it's really critical to be able to highlight and maintain uh healthy mitochondrial function you know clinically people as they get older they they often when they lose muscle and i know that we're not necessarily talking about the loss of muscle in and of itself only, but they complain of things like being tired and fatigued and having reduced exercise capacity. And I think that this is where this compound really can push the needle for people. Um, I'm sure that, you know, you've probably seen that in uh, reports from the participants. Yeah, less less energy. I mean, but what, what you're saying is, you know, people feel like they have less energy and 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 lots of people feel like they have less energy uh out there and and <laughs> yeah. you know and 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 what's interesting is that when you boost your mitochondrial function and with your A and and um and the product that we've developed i mean what you what you see is that uh people are consistently speaking of having more energy and you know there's even people who have you know have stopped taking coffee uh, because are you serious? I oh I've I, I stopped taking coffee a couple of years ago, uh, and yeah, and I I don't see the need for it after taking urolithin on a daily basis. It's um it, it's it's a really amazing product, and um, I love it. I actually love the powder. I, I'm working on a I'm actually designing a meal plan, and I reached out to Ian because I want to put it in one of these. I, I love yogurt type stuff, and so I want right. to actually put the berry mitopure in it so hopefully yeah. you will get on board so i'm, I'm just uh, Super. Give it a little plug now here because uh, maybe you can maybe uh you know someone <laughs> uh but i i think that the the way in which you have created and packaged and delivered this i think is very beneficial for people in the way that it's not a pharmaceutical right this is actually an you know, a lot of pharmaceuticals actually, or chemotherapy drugs, they actually do come from nature. There's many of, of them. Course. Things come from nature. And um, it's wonderful to see such promising evidence that, you know, and this is done in randomized controlled trials in humans. And, so, and I think, I think what, you know, what you're saying is, is important because you're, you know, it, it's all about the safety of the product that you're taking. You want to make sure when you're when you're having a food product that is very safe and that um, that customers uh, don't ask themselves when they purchase it or when they're consuming it, you know, could I could I get sick? I mean, here we've we've gone through this whole process um, that you're familiar with called um, the grass or generally regarded safe uh, with the the FDA and 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 as you were mentioning, we've we've now run. Uh, a number of double-blind 
I think it's important to say that these are all double-blind, placebo-controlled studies uh, with our with our product, where we analyze uh, not only the the beneficial effects, but we take a look and see if there's any any types of um, uh, negative effects, and we haven't seen any today. I, I I do think that that's also really critical. In terms of, I know that I'm getting short on time, but I, I do have a lot of questions. I, I promise I'm just going to just choose the most salient ones. Do you sure. think that there's any benefit uh, in combination of, say, something like uh, urolithin A with creatine or any kind of uh, synergistic compounds that one would ingest with urolithin A? I, I think there is. I mean, that, you know, when you when you th- when you consider urolithin A as a supplement, it's it's basically rebuilding your mitochondria. So it's taking um, a population of mitochondria inside of your cells that may not be optimal and tuning them up to make uh, a population that's, that's more robust. And then once you have that, uh, that population, if you can give other nutrients that that will be beneficial to the mitochondria, it makes sense that mm-hmm. the mitochondria will be able to perform even better. So and would that so, be something like, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Would that be something like CoQ10? What kind of um, compound well, could, are you talking about? Well, one could imagine CoQ10, for example, that that could be one. We haven't we haven't studied any type of um, uh, combinations uh, specifically at this point that we've published, but uh, I think that there are uh, a number of potential uh, mm. yeah, actives that could be synergistic with uh, urolithin A. Uh, particularly for the muscle, for energy, and then as we start thinking about other other types of health benefits that um, that I was alluding to before, whether that's immune health or gut health or or other areas. Yeah, I, that is really important because when you're we're talking about mitochondria, just like you said, it's in nearly everything except for red blood cells. So you're t- talking about skeletal muscle health. You're talking about neurodegenerative health or uh, neuro health yeah. in in an effort to avoid neurodegenerative kinds of uh, issues and then sure. joint health, inflammatory heart health, health, heart health, all of the things yeah. um, and metabolic dysfunction, which, which I think is, is really critical and kind of just to wrap up it, an individual, number one, you could eat a ton of pomegranates, <laughs> but it's actually not in the, it's not in the red part. It's in the um, kind of that bitter white, uh, yellow part, right? The it, it is the, uh, all of these elagitans and punicalogen that that elagitan that I was mentioning uh, is really found in in that white um, membranous part of the of the pomegranate. The the, the type that's re- the part that's really bitter. So when you drink uh, a pomegranate juice and it's really bitter, you know you're you're getting uh, lots of punicalogen, but you're also getting a lot of sugar because it's one of those juices that has the highest content of sugar. So it's probably not too healthy on a uh, metabolic, um, perspective to, to take that, that level of sugar. Yeah. Or you're going to choose the most bitter juice that you can find, which no one really wants that. That's, that's gross. And you would need about six cups of juice to equal, is it 500 milligrams of a, of a, a single to get a, Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. You would, you would need at least six, you would need one to have the, the right gut microflora and two, you would need to have about six glass, six, eight ounce glasses of pomegranate juice to equal, uh, you know, one dose of 500 milligrams of mitopure, which is, um, 
which is urolithin A that that we manufacture and we're um, commercializing under this timeline brand. Um, yeah, I will be a hard pass on that six to nine cups of uh, pomegranate juice. I don't know about you. If you could see any massive change, what would be a dream for you? Because you've put in, I, I don't think people realize the amount of work that has likely gone into this company, your efforts, you've really pioneered something special. What what does success look like for you and for the company and the impact that you're trying to make? Thank you. I, I think I think success is is really. I think we're really at the early stages uh, on this, Gabrielle. The idea is is now to spread the word and educate more people about the health benefits of urolithin A and, and mitopure and and uh, and and get people uh, taking this on a regular basis. I, it should be. I think most people, when they think of of dietary supplementation, they think of omega-3, they think of vitamin C. I, I think people should be really mindful that in order for their cells and their body to function, one of the key aspects to first address is energy and, and ATP and their mitochondria. And that this should be something that should be on everybody's minds, that they should first start trying to optimize that the cellular health from a mitochondria perspective and then add other nutrients on top that they think would be beneficial uh, for in their specific cases. Uh, and so for me, you know, the dream would be that, you know, that as many people as possible can benefit from the health benefits that urolithin A um, is providing and that we are continuing to, um, to show uh, have benefits in, in different health areas, whether it's muscle health, immune health, et cetera. Well, I'm I'm really excited. I'm excited to help spread the word. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate that you've really taken an evidence-based approach to this. There's that lends a lot of credibility to what it, the, the the movement and the impact that this potentially can make um, because it has taken so much time and and been done so diligently. So thank you. And and I'm going to link for the audience where to find everything. And um, I, I think that they you know, if they're open to it, should really give it a try. I know that we're taking it over here, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. So I'm so grateful for your team for making this possible. Well, thank you so much, Grandma, for for having me here today. It's been fun chatting and discussing about mitochondria and, and urolithin A. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.